Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dressed, the history of fashion is a production of Dressed Media. billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. It's August, dress listeners, and you know what that means. It's time for our now annual coverage of the Southwestern Association for Indian Arts, or also known as SWAYA. It's the Santa Fe Indian Market was this past weekend, and we've been covering it now multiple years because it has fashion shows that accompany this annual event. And these fashion shows are some of the most highly anticipated events of the three-day market. And each year, they really showcase the wide breadth of Indigenous design talent and innovation. And I had the pleasure of attending both shows this year, April. And last year, you actually attended with me for the first time, which was a treat. Yes, I loved it. And I I felt like I could have spent another like two whole days there because there is so much to see that it's almost overwhelming. (laughs) Um, So I definitely did not see anything and it just left me wanting more. So invite me next year, friend. (laughs) I think we made it to the tail end of the Native American clothing contest. I mean, there's so many related fashion events. And of course, there's all of the thousands of sellers there that are you know, selling their their art and their fashion as well. So yeah, it's a really big, big event. It's the largest of its kind in the world. So it's really incredible. And it's so cool that they do these fashion shows. Yes. Um, and of course, we have had the pleasure of interviewing for the show three of the f- designers who were featured on the Swaya runway over the past few years, including Jante Com, Orlando Dugai, and Karina Emmerich. And our past Swaya fashion coverage also includes an interview with today's guest, Amber Dawn Bearrobe, who, while not a designer, is the fashion show's director, producer, and driving visionary. Yes, and Amber Dawn's work is so important to the contemporary fashion scene. And I also just want to say that I spoke with Amber Dawn previous to attending the shows this year. So this interview was done a couple weeks ago, and the fashion shows were this past weekend. So after our interview today, dress listeners, I'll do a bit of a recap of some of the weekend's highlights. But first, we are excited to welcome back Amber Dawn to the show to discuss the past, present, and future of Indigenous fashion. Amber Dawn, welcome back to Dressed. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, and of course, we are here to talk about the talented lineup of designers showing at Swaya's annual Indigenous Fashion Show. 
But first, I just kind of wanted to give our listeners some perspective on the annual show's significance and some historical context. Um, Because as you know, of course, Indigenous fashion history is so often left out of that quote unquote traditional fashion history narratives that center like white Euro-American designers. But as you so often point out so brilliantly in your work on American fashion history, you always point out that it must start with Indigenous peoples. So in what ways is Indigenous fashion, as you so often say, quote, the original haute couture of America? For one thing, I'm, I'm often asked, what is Indigenous fashion? And there is not one blanket statement that can uh, define what Native fashion is, just like there is not one way to define what American fashion is or what Canadian fashion is. Uh, but the one time thread is Indigenous designers are the original, and I'll use the French term, couturier of North America. And I can give many examples, but one of the, my two go-to example is um, uh, fashion and clothing and garments up in the North and the Arctic and none of it is you do not get more couture than hunting the animal, uh, skinning the animal, taking the intestines, cleaning the intestines to be absolutely clean and pristine and flattening them and sewing together with sewing it together with sinew to make not only an aesthetically beautiful, stunning um, jacket or parka, but also to make something that is life-saving. And there's so many examples of that within Native North American historical clothing. When you look at a porcupine quill uh, work, or when you look at uh, even uh, weaving and textiles, there's so many examples of that. It's just historically, this has been framed as anthropological or object of curiosity, rather than being looked at as an object or a garment of fashion that can contribute and uh, expand the fashion history of North America. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned quill work too, because I find it so fascinating that quill work is distinctively unique to Indigenous peoples on the North American continent. Mm -hmm. You don't find that anywhere else in the world. Um, that sort of in that form of embellishment. And there's so much innovation too, in terms of like, you know, the first snow goggles or sunglasses, right? Yes. And that needs to be part of the conversation, this, in this innovation. Absolutely. Also, when you look at a form line design in the Pacific Northwest coast, and when you look at, uh, there's so many examples of that, that it's distinctly North American, but unfortunately, it is slipped into the category of um, kind of the Southwest, the, the Manifest Destiny, the Great Wild West, and appropriated as this generic icon for America without even understanding what that means. Yeah, and I think what's so amazing, too, is these traditions that extend back thousands of years continue into the present day, right? So it very much needs to be front and center and part of that conversation. So you recently highlighted the vast scope and diversity of Indigenous fashion in your exhibition, The Art of Indigenous Fashion at the Institute of American Indian Arts, which that institution itself is incredibly significant to the evolution of the Indigenous fashion scene into today. So I'd love if you could just talk a little bit about how IAIA laid the foundation for the contemporary fashion scene, and maybe starting with the work and role of Lloyd Kiva New, who we have mentioned many times on the show, but we've never really dug into his history and his work. Uh, yeah, Lloyd Kiva New, he is a fascinating individual and was also very conscious of, of the era that he was in and the representation or non-representation of uh, Native students and Native people and Native design. And that at 
his time when he was active during the 40s, 50s, and 60s, especially in the 40s, there was almost um, a down casting, a down look on Native culture and Native design. We have all these cliches of the, the stoic Indian, the drunk Indian, the oh, woe is me with the big teardrop. And so there was a, men, there was a lot of basically racism happening at that time. And so there really wasn't this larger uh, social pride, at least, that was seen within the social structure of uh, Canada in the United States. So when Lloyd Keevan knew, uh, one of his missions was definitely education, but one of his missions was to really teach cultural pride and for students and to educate that Indigenous people need to be proud of who they are and where they come from. And that was really kind of, that's really stemmed in part of his fashion and textile work. Uh, Lloyd Keevan knew there's books written on him, um, so there, there's a lot of information on, in-depth information on him that I, I don't want to get into now because he's a extremely, an, an amazing complex person. But he really is pivotal to the fashion history of, of North America. That he uh, had commercial success in, in New York and really ladies who lunch or the, the uh, elite women, they would holiday in the Southwest and the garments at the time were much different in the East Coast than they were in the, the Southwest. And so he really dressed a lot of the, the upper class ladies with garments that were appropriate in terms of weather-wise for the Southwest, but also design-wise. And he would um, represent different Native nations uh, on his textiles. He also made his own textiles, silkscreen, making his own designs, the designs on the textiles. He's, uh, he's well known for his color clashing. So he's really innovative in, in not just representing indigenous symbols and motifs and cultures, but also innovative in the design and the color and his use of imagery, materials, etc. He also was especially well known for the Lloyd Keeva new bag. Yeah, and he is incredible too, because he's so foundational in, in the creation of the Institute of American Indian Arts, which I think from day one had textile and fashion classes, which is so cool. Yes, he was one of the founders of the Institute of American Indian Arts and the Indigenous fashion or the Indigenous textiles component of it was extremely something he was extremely passionate about. And he would roll over in his grave if he knew that there was no fashion programming or textiles programming at the Institute. So hopefully at one point that will be instigated at the Institute. Yeah. And I think that went away in the nineties, but not before, I think in the seventies and eighties, you really have this like hub of talent being like cultivated and training there. Can you talk a little bit about the people that trained at IAIA? Because I think they really set the foundation in many ways for the contemporary scene today. Yes. The, the good old days of um, the eighties and the nineties, you had uh, designers slash artists such as Patricia Michaels, Marcus Ammerman, um, and uh, Wendy Ponca was one of the instructors. You also had Virgil Ortiz. So now we're getting a little more ahead in the timeline. But this really was a time during when I, I it really, not that it doesn't nurture expression now, but there wasn't as many rules and regulations. For example, beadwork artist Marcus Ammerman, who's known for his portrait uh, beadwork, fascinating, amazing story um, just in just in his beadwork and where where he started at II to where he is now. And just a footnote, one of his uh, designs was featured in, I believe it was Elle magazine in the, in the 80s, 
with some of the, the top supermodels. At that time in the 80s and 90s, there was much more of a freedom and a liberal experience that the Institute uh, cultivated. And Marcus Ammerman talked about, they would just go into the collections, they would borrow some, you know, some bracelets that were in the archives or in the collections and go wear them out on the town and then bring them back to the archives, uh, to the collections the next day. That would never happen now. Um, <laughs> there's also this, this exhibition, it was about exploring indigenous sexuality and the indigenous body. And Marcus Ammerman had this beautiful, fully beaded, naked woman. That kind of exhibition wouldn't be celebrate it like it was then uh, because there's much many more rules goes along with the institution and i'm not saying it's bad it's just the the institution has changed since the 80s and 90s yeah as as they should but there really was a level of freedom that was happening in the 80s and 90s that really lent itself to this other underworld of indigenous fashion that's very specific to the southwest to santa fe there was a, a store that was open a boutique called heat to free boutique that was started with Virgil Ortiz. Polaro Goyo and Virgil Ortiz has gone on to be an absolutely acclaimed international artist who, uh, 2000, he did a collaboration, 2000 or 2001, a collaboration with Donna Karen, which incorporated his pottery designs into textiles. And then his career just really exploded. And he, he is just an amazing artist who works with mixed media, textiles, pottery, that time period of the 80s and 90s that really helped to form who he is now as um, as an artist slash designer. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue to my next question about continuing the theme of your exhibition, The Art of Indigenous Fashion. Pilar is a friend of mine, and she's featured in that exhibition, and she talks about kind of how foundational that period and studying under Wendy was to her as a designer. And then, of course, Virgil Ortiz, incredibly powerful, like traveling warrior watchman, opened your exhibition. Can you talk about the intersections of culture, art, and fashion in the contemporary designers' works that are on view were on view in your exhibition? Well, one of the goals with the exhibition is I really wanted to showcase that uh, the diversity of Indigenous design, art, and fashion, and textiles. And so I, I opened the show up with kind of more what I'd say wearable art, or even non-wearable art, because I don't know if Virgil Ortiz's uh, installation pieces could actually be worn. You could try, but it's I love that he pushes the, the boundaries on, well, this is fashion, definitely not wearable, but it is fashion. Um, and then you look at some other designers such as Catherine Blackburn. We couldn't get her physical pieces in due to kind of the long-term effects of, of COVID and border crossing and animal materials. The logistics of um, materials crossing the border is uh, very she's complex. She's in Canada, right? Yeah. She, yeah, she's in Canada. And that's something I should note too, is that any programming I do generally represents uh, Indigenous designers from both Canada and the United States. And so there was really critical statements that were being made either overtly and loudly with artists such as Virgil Ortiz, and he's really positioning Indigenous people in the future and also forming a future because too often Indigenous people are kind of really stuck in terms of socially and in media and pop culture are really framed as being a historical image of, you know, the Southwest, of, of Western Western movies and Edward Curtis photos. So it's really a matter of getting representation out there and future histories of who we are as Indigenous people. Kind of each section, really, I wanted to highlight just the diversity of the designers, but also the diversity of stories. And, you know, each garment has a story. 
And you go from um, someone like Jason Berg, who really started his foundation as an artist designer, was founded in painting. And you can see that transferring into his uh, dresses and his designs. Then you look at someone like Pamela Baker and Dorothy Grant. Dorothy Grant is someone who I consider the, the matriarch of indigenous fashion. You know, she was uh, in the 80s when native fashion definitely did not have the attention that it does now. She had a brick and mortar store downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Putting form line design onto clothing and textiles into fashion was extremely new in her time period. Now you see it everywhere, but she, she was really innovative in that type of um, garments. It, very progressive and innovative in her time period. And then you go to someone like Lauren Goodday. You have Jamie Okuma or Landon Dugai. So it can go on forever, but I won't. But there really is uh, just different pockets of story with each designer who was in the exhibition. And then, of course, there was that uh, side room, which really was dedicated to the Southwest and to the history of the Institute of American Indian Arts and its role in Native fashion as to not forget it, but also to demonstrate there's so much more research and work that needs to be done. There's just not enough time in the day, including works like Kay Bennett, who's in there. Not much is known about her, but she was popular in her day and seen as a fashion icon. And she was making, we don't know for sure, but the theory is that she was making her own garments and fashion because there's nothing out there that she identified with as a native woman. And so she was hand making, hand stitching these, these figures, these amazing, skillfully, technically complicated designs, but also with these exquisite hand sewn figures that represent who she was as a Navajo woman. Yeah, I mean, and like, as you've mentioned, there's just such an incredible breadth and variety of Indigenous design on view in the exhibition. I mean, you also had like the Kent Monkman, Jean-Paul Gaudier daguerreotype, which was like a treat to see. So seeing people like Jamie Okuma's beadwork in, up close in person, you also had Terry Greaves' work, like her converse were in there. And the level of craftsmanship and skill that is carried through in a lot of these designers too. So congratulations. I just, I had to talk about that exhibit because it was just so wonderful. And not the only exhibition you've done recently, you also also did an exhibition entitled Fashion Fictions. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was invited to curate the Indigenous component for Fashion Fictions by curator Stephanie Brebeck. And I love Vancouver Art Gallery. It was so great to get. I'm originally Canadian. I am dual citizen now, but it was great to go back to Canada to remember how the Canadian art scene paid, they pay their artists such a different support system financially because the federally and provincial grants that are available. So it lends itself to a level of artistic creation that you don't see so much in the United States, particularly because as an artist, if you're paid to do work that isn't conditioned on will this sell, it lends to a different conversation. Right. So it was just great to go back up to Canada, to work in Vancouver, to do an exhibition for the Vancouver Art Gallery. The curator, Stephanie, she was really looking at fashion fictions. This was um, an exhibition looking at global fashion. And it's not like, here's the native component, here's the European component. There, it was kind of this intermingling, a conversation of global fashion. And what does that conversation look like when it's brought together? There was different uh, thematic sections, but it was really looking at, I, I don't like to use the word futurism because it's overused, but looking at uh, fashion now and where fashion is going, what does that mean on an economic level, on an environmental level? on a cultural level, 
and it's just uh, it's a fantastic exhibition if anybody's ever in Vancouver Canada I highly recommend to go see that show it's up until um, October I believe oh wonderful and what gallery was it again the Vancouver Art Gallery downtown Vancouver Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So you are doing so much important work in this space of Indigenous fashion. And no more so than in Santa Fe at this annual Swaya fashion event that you have really been instrumental in building since 2014, which I believe. So it's almost 10 years since this fashion show has um, existed in Santa Fe. Um, it's coming up this uh, next couple weeks. And I would love if you could just tell us about the mini designers featured in the exhibition and uh, this year's lineup, perhaps starting with who's new to the lineup this year. I know there's at least one new face that hasn't shown. Yes, I'm very excited. And this is the 10th uh, annual. Oh, Swaya it is. Fashion okay. Show. 
Yeah, I was producing Indigenous fashion shows before this, but this is why it's officially 10th anniversary. And so excited for this year's show. And there's actually two people, just because it's not, I don't think framed correctly, but there is the Saturday Swaya Gala Fashion Show, which is, it's a full fashion show. It's five completely separate designers. And then there's the Sunday Fashion Show, which is kind of the the closer, I would say, to, to market. And very excited. We have quite a few new designers actually on the runway this year. And something that I also want to mention is that, again, as is what I normally do, there are Indigenous artists and designers from Canada and the United States. And so one of the designers I'm extremely excited about is Jonte Com, who's actually a Cree, originally from Canada, but is now actually just graduated from the Institute of American Indian Arts. Uh, Jonte will be debuting a new collection for the first time ever on the Swaya runway. Actually, this will be his first major fashion show. And he's just someone who I really highly recommend for people to keep an eye on this person. He's looking at, as a Cree individual, he's looking at powwow culture and powwow fashion and powwow clothing. And he's kind of turning it on its head and looking at it from his very kind of sculptural wearable art perspective. For example, he will, it's not as if you'd look at the garments, you'd be like, oh, that's Plains powwow. But if you are from, um, if you are from that region and if you are, if you're indigenous, you will see that right away, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to because the garments are just exquisite, but he's taking a bustle, for example, that's in the back for like prairie chicken dancers and he's putting in the front. So he's totally just morphing things and changing it around. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the history of powwow culture and dress, it's always been morphing and changing, representing the materials and technology and social construct of the time. So he's just doing exactly what we've always done, but just on a, on a different platform. Um, we also have mobilized streetwear designer who is um, coming and just open and uh, just fascinating what, I mean, when people think of streetwear, sometimes I might think of like, oh, that's just like jeans and running shoes. This is beyond jeans and running shoes. Mobilize is also um, very particular in what the clothing is saving. So it's not just clothing for clothing, like it looks cool, but there is definitely um, conversations and messages that is coming across with his um, streetwear. So he's de debuting for the first time at Swaya and uh, debuting a new collection. Um, we also have Elias Not Afraid, who is not new to Swaya, an exquisite bead and quillwork artist, exquisite, but who is making a full collection for the first time that will be showing on the, the Swaya runway. Of course, we have our wonderful, wonderful uh, senior OGs of Swaya fashion, which is Lauren Goodday, Jamie Okuma, uh, Orlando Dugai, and Pamela Baker. Uh, so we have quite the mixture. We also have, um, we're representing an artist from, from up north, Claire McConnell. We have quite the mixture. So I, if you can't make it to the fashion show, which you probably can't because I believe we are sold out, we are filming it and uh, we'll, we'll have some little clips that will be released on social media. We do have our new Instagram account, Swaya Native Fashion. And we also have our new website, swayanativefashion.org, in which I'm really not only trying to represent um, what's happening at Swaya in the Southwest, but also something that's really important is I'm 
highlighting the the model. So this is a work that's in progress, but it's about the models page and it's looking at all the models who have been so dedicated to these fashion shows. I am telling you, Cassidy, these models come from across Canada, the United States. They will drive or fly for hours to come here just to model for this event. Like it's I'm so honored that they do this. Um, they do this on their own dime. Well, my goal is to be able to be able to pay the, the, I mean, I would love to be able to accommodate flights and accommodations for all the models at this point financially as a not-for-profit Native arts organization. We're not at that place. But so I'm trying to give back as much as possible. So I'm featuring the, the models on Instagram, but also I'm creating this, this whole roster of models who have modeled with us from the beginning, new models and giving them not, not just their photos, but also who they are as individuals, little bios. A lot of these models, they're doctors or they're nurses or they're athletes doing amazing things outside of modeling for the fashion show. So that's something that a project that I'm very passionate about, also just very excited about because it creates this, what's happened over what I've witnessed over the past 10 years is there really is this community. And I know community can mean a lot of things. But almost similar to, uh, so I am Plains. I'm from Siksika Nation. That's uh, Blackfoot. And that's just uh, uh, above Montana. So, you know, you have powwows. And that is really these gathering of people that you don't see during the year. But in the summertime, when it's, you know, nicer weather and there's powwows, you have this gathering, reconnecting of old friends and family, but also generating new friends and connections and, quote, family. And that's what this backstage in, in the makeup and hair room it's just these models who you've seen for the past 10 years and they're all coming together and excited and backstage. And even though it's chaotic and crazy, we're having a good time back there. I mean, we're definitely down to business and it's stressful, but it really is a gathering of old friends and the making of new friends. And people look forward to it every year to, to come and um, hang out backstage and do some work and be on the runway and have their images show up in Vogue. Yeah. And I was, I mean, it's, it speaks so much to that these models will come from all over to be here to how significant this annual show is, and not just to Indigenous fashion, to fashion, right, to the global fashion scene. And you were actually about to put Santa Fe on the global fashion scene with a very exciting news uh, that was just recently announced um, that really is going to put, like I said, Indigenous fashion into that global fashion conversation. Can you tell us about this recent announcement? Yes. Yay. I'm so excited. This, uh, we are launching the Santa Fe Indigenous Fashion Week by Swai Native Fashion. It launches the first week of May, 2024. And I know that coincides with the Met Gala. And that really is the launching of, well, this is, we're kind of symbolically launching our own quote Met Gala. And I have to use, you know, kind of English and European terminology so people can reference what I'm, I'm talking about. But afterwards, we I do want to change the date so it's not in direct line with that because the goal is to really bring the fashion world to Santa Fe to see, experience, work with, buy, whatever it is, um, partner with Indigenous designers, Indigenous brands, Indigenous models, whatever that may be, that this, this is the place where you come annually to experience that. I mean, yes, we have Native designers that are going to New York Fashion Week and to Paris Fashion Week. But it's really, I view it as going to a party that you're not really invited to and you're kind of in the corner being a wallflower. And so rather than trying to get invited to this table, which I don't see happening anytime soon, yes, there's been collaborations. Yes, there's been acknowledgement, but it really is so little and so slow. 
in America, specifically America, much different scene up in Canada. So this Native Fashion Week, the first Native Fashion Week in America is making on our own grounds, our own territory and celebration. And we as Indigenous people are coming here. We invite the rest of the world to come. Yes. And I, for one, am so excited. I know so many other people will be too. Dress listeners, this will not be the last that you hear about that because I plan on very much so covering that when it debuts next May. (laughs) So congratulations. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this year's lineup and show. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your work and all the amazing Indigenous talent in Santa Fe with us. Thank you so much, Cassidy. Thank you for taking the time and just a fan of your work and what you're doing. It's it's fantastic. So thank you again. Amber Dawn, thank you so much for joining us again. And Cass, I am sitting over here waiting with bated breath. How were the shows? (laughs) I know I've actually held back from like sending you all of these fabulous images and working on a ton of reels to, to showcase my coverage from this past weekend. Because there was so much fashion, it was just really an incredible two-day event. Um, And thank you again to Audrey, Jamie, and the PR team for inviting me to both the gala on Saturday and the Sunday show, which was sold out. Okay, so getting back to the shows, because you didn't answer my question, I'm going to keep poking <laughs> you till you tell me something. Uh, let's start with Saturday night. I know um, that this featured designers Tracy Toulouse, Rebecca Baker-Grenier, Elias, Not Afraid, Clara McConnell and Patricia Michaels. Patricia, yes. So our dress listeners probably recognize that name because she's the Project Runway alum who hails from Tos Pueblo. And she was definitely one of the highlights from Saturday night's events because she just has the most beautiful, you know, her signature is really these hand-dyed and pan-painted textiles. They always really take center stage. And I also really enjoyed Rebecca Baker Grenier's collection. Rebecca is Kwakiutl. Muskamug de Swadanux and Shomish. I did my best dress listeners to pronounce those correctly. Please forgive me if I did not. And as Rebecca wrote on her Instagram, her collection was inspired by, quote, our ancestral warriors. Quote, it pays tribute to all those who have protected, maintained, and revitalized our culture, end quote. And she had really beautiful garments featuring symbols and motifs that reflected her Pacific Northwest heritage. And these were alternated with these amazing cutout leather pieces that almost acted like as armor for these warriors. It was really a stunning collection. Yeah, and I was not familiar with Rebecca's work, so I read up on it a bit. And while she's only been a professional fashion designer since 2019, she's actually been sewing and beading regalia since she was 11. So, you know, many of these designers have really been honing and cultivating their craft from a very young age, and it is so often rooted in their cultural practices and traditions, which is amazingly beautiful. Oh, yeah. And this was certainly the case for designers across both Saturday and Sunday's shows. All of these designers really bring a unique vision to their collections. And of course, I'm going to provide links in our show notes and just highlight a few of those today. So let's cut to Sunday's show if we can. Um, This show featured Jamie Akuma, Orlando Dugai, Pam Baker, Dusty Legrand of Mobilize, Jante Calm, Lauren Goodday, and Jason Berg. Yeah, so the energy April was so palpable. You'll probably remember from last year because I think it was sold out last year as well. Yeah, it was. I, bad. I mean, the energy there were like is thousands just... of people there. Yeah, <laughs> and people, it was just a palpable energy. You could feel it, and it's people awaited the show, which was opened by Jamie Akuma with a collection of stunning, bold graphic prints that we've really come to expect from the seasoned beadwork artist and designer, who is of Lisenio Shoshone Banoff. 
Wailaki and Okinawan heritage. And she's also an enrolled member of the La Jolla Band of Indians based in Southern California. Yes, we saw Jamie's work last year on the runway um, and also in the IIA's exhibition you and Amber Dawn talked about, which was entitled The Art of Indigenous Fashion. Jamie is very famous for her hand-beaded Louboutins, which can be found in museum collections all around the country. And she also recently became the first Native American designer inducted into the ranks of the CFDA, which is, of course, the Council of Fashion Designers of America. Do you have any other highlights, Cass? I do. And I might be a bit biased (laughs) because they're past dress guests. (laughs) But also, I mean, they're amazing. And there's a reason why they've been on the show before, let's just say. (laughs) Orlando Dugai and Jante Com. So Orlando, let's start there because our listeners are going to remember from our interview with him that he makes the most luxurious pieces inspired by and handcrafted from traditions rooted in his Diné or Navajo heritage. And his show was really special because it started with a fashion film that was really spectacular and highlighted that exquisite hand craftsmanship and skill that just goes into each and every one of his really haute couture quality pieces. I mean, so much hand craftsmanship. He's a self-taught timbre bead artist, and he has features that on a lot of his clothing. And he does menswear, predominantly menswear, which is very refreshing as well. And I, April, there were so many really fun gender bending moments on his runway this year that challenged conventional gender standards. So he had men's men in skirts. There was this fabulous like silk chiffon jumpsuit moment. Um, and then there was, you know, men in hand beaded mesh shirts, see-through mesh shirts. And there was, my favorite piece was this silver zip front metallic see-through jacket just exquisite construction and so beautifully made. So it was a real, real treat. I follow him on Instagram. So I was on Instagram this morning Yeah, and I saw some of his pieces and he had a male model wearing this kind of like peachy cream draped like chiffon yes. gown that had like a, a beaded like girdle waist section. He was like, oh, I never thought yeah. I'd be in vogue. Not once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, the model was posting that. Oh, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. And that was actually a jumpsuit. Um, I didn't, oh, I couldn't tell that, but apparently it's a bifurcated garment. But it looks yeah, like well, a it dress. Was really gorgeous, and I also mm-hmm. want to wear it. So, yeah. And again, just like <laughs> ha- like silk chiffon, right? Like pleated silk chiffon, and I believe, and just a really stunning moment when it came down the runway. And so that was definitely a highlight of the night, of the afternoon, and then April. You are going to die if you have not already looked up Plains Cree designer and past dress guest, Jante Combs collection. Have you checked it out? Oh, I have. I also follow him (laughs) on Instagram. And he's actually been posting leading up little pieces of the collection um, all this week. Um, I haven't, I've been saving it until after we did this episode to kind of maybe look up some of the runway moments. But talk about stunners. I mean, some of these creations that he's making with feathers where he's like mitering the edges of the feathers together in like these geometric patterns and then using the mitered feathers draping them like a skirt he's he's treating the connected feathers almost like they're fabric and it's mind-boggling 
And just a refresh for our listeners, he came on last year because April and I, when we went and saw the Art of Indigenous Fashion exhibition, he had a pop-up outside. And we that so his pop-up was the first thing we saw. And we both like walked up and where he had some pieces on mannequins and some on hangers. And we were like, I think we both audibly gasped because it's yeah. his work is just so incredibly stunning. And it's one thing, April, to see these pieces static on mannequins, but what was such a treat is that we got to see them in movement on the runway. Very cool. So this was his 17-piece BFA graduate collection from the IAIA, vibrantly colored, sculpted feather gowns, long fringe gowns, so these long, long fringe just in these like vibrant, bright colors just walking down the runway. His work pays homage to his native culture and the powwow regalia with these bustled gowns, as well as paying homage to haute couture. So he actually ended his show with a wedding dress, which we know is tradition is a tradition in the haute couture. But it's not like any wedding dress we've ever seen grace the haute couture runway. And that was because this is 100% jante calm. And it was this stunning white feathered number. It had this sculpted feather bodice. And then it had these feathers protruding out from it to create almost like a halo effect around the model. And this was combined with what you were talking about, like how he used the feathers, almost like a chainmail skirt. Yes. And this particular collection was called Regalian Bodies. And Jante talked about the inspiration behind the collection in an interview with Women's Wear Daily's Booth Moore, who was in attendance, saying, quote, it is about death, grief, and afterlife. It's taking inspiration from fancy dance regalia, fancy straw ribbon dresses, making bustles, putting the bustle in front, using a chainmail technique. It's all about my dad passing away and me trying to cope. He goes on to say, I am using all the haute couture silhouettes like the Dior hips with the duck feather dress and a little bit of Galliano and McQueen, end quote. And as Moore notes, his face obscuring feather and flower masks and headpieces would make Philip Tracy oh so proud. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, Jonte April's coming to New York. He's going to study at Parsons this year. So we're going to see great things out of this designer. So stay tuned, dress listeners. So all in all, this year's show was a success. As I mentioned, look on our Instagram for multiple reels coming your way as I uh, work on those and get those out to you to share what I experienced in person this past weekend. And also check out the link in our show notes to learn all about the fantastic roster of designers featured in this year's lineup. And then I also want to say, April, so excited for Swaya Fashion Week in May of next year. And I, you know, our listeners may remember that the Met Gala has famously excluded Indigenous representation. So I think it's fitting that it's the same week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really this loud and proud commentary that Indigenous people are creating their own spaces rather than waiting to be included in those that have historically excluded them, right? So we will, of course, be watching and reporting. And I know the fashion world will too. You know, Vogue's there, represented by Christian Allaire, Women's Wear Daily by Booth Moore. So they're really setting the standard for other fashion publications to follow. So I hope to see more and more coverage in the future. Absolutely. I think that does it for us today, dress listeners, though. May you consider the past, present, and future of Indigenous fashion next time you get dressed. 
Remember, we love hearing from you. So if you'd like to email us, you can do so at hello at dresshistory.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. We will find images and lots of Cassidy's upcoming reels (laughs) that are going to accompany this week's episode, this very episode. And if you want to find the Instagram content specifically connected to this episode, you can check out the hashtag dressed FHN 54. That's hashtag dressed FHN and the number five, four. Also, uh, did you know that you can listen to dressed ad free now? If you're interested, you can check out our show notes, uh, for our exclusive content subscription, where for just $3 a month, you can get dressed ad free while also supporting the show. And if you have a moment, and want to take the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice. We appreciate your support. More dress coming your way on Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of Dressed Media. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.